You're listening to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. This show was created for entrepreneurs, business owners, marketers, and dreamers who want to learn from the experts of today and drastically shortcut their own success to build a business that supports their dream lifestyle. Since 2011, Tyler Jorgensen has been interviewing business thought leaders from around the world. A serial entrepreneur himself, Tyler also shares his personal insights into what's working in business today. Welcome to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. Welcome out to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. I am your host, Tyler Jorgensen. And today I have the honor and pleasure and privilege of interviewing one of my good friends. Matt Frew is the CEO and other important titles of ShipZoom.com. <laughs> ShipZoom uh, is a fulfillment company that makes ship happen. But more importantly, Matt is an awesome human and great friend. And I'm excited to have you on the show, Matt. Welcome out. I'm excited to be here. I always love talking to you, Tyler. I don't know what your actual title is. Is it like chief actual ship title? officer? It might no. <laughs> we don't. We we try not to do any of the uh, make up titles type of things. So I am CEO, chief executive officer, and owner of ShipZoom. Awesome. Um, yeah. So uh, I like to start at the very beginning, and I know your story is a little different than some uh, companies. But when was the moment that you first realized that you're an entrepreneur? The moment that I first realized that I was an entrepreneur was when, well, I was probably 17 years old in high school. And so in high school, you have the opportunity when you're junior or senior to leave campus and go eat lunch. And there's not great options on campus at school. And um, I decided, you know what, I'm going to raid my parents' fridge and freezer and I'm going to go ahead and cook up hot dogs and hamburgers and sell them in the parking lot. And so that's what I did. And then again, a way I, cool, like take on the old lemonade stand idea is oh, the, yeah. the yeah. high school hot dog stand. I love it. Yeah. And, and unbeknownst to my parents, they didn't realize that they were a funding a, a business on campus of, of the high school. And then again, probably about when I was 25 years old, uh, there was an issue. At, I worked for UPS for for a little bit um, during the recession, um, just to get some good benefits and stuff. And there was a time that the vending machine guy he increased the price of the soda to fifty five cents. You'd have thought that somebody had killed somebody, and the whole UPS crowd was like all up in arms. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and buy all of the soda at Costco all of the, um, the candy bars, and I'm going to sell it out of, the back, out of the back of my car. And so I was making, while I was u- working at UPS, I had a side hustle in the parking lot selling, you know, all of the vending machine stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's, there's a problem, you see an opportunity, you fix it, and you capitalize on it. I think that is one of the core tenets of what makes an entrepreneur different than somebody who may be a business owner, or maybe entrepreneurs see problems. They don't see problems. They see solutions. Where they see problems, they see opportunities. Where other people complain, you see there's a, a path, right? How did you get involved in ShipZoom? So I got involved in ShipZoom um, at the age, the rightful age of 15. <laughs> so I, it, it's funny because I'll, I'll share with people when they ask me what I do and how long I've been here. Uh, I've been here for over 23 years. 
I started working for who now is my business partner at the age of 15, uh, where his nephew, who was a friend of mine in high school, approached me and asked if I wanted you know, to come help his uncle ship leather coats to Nordstrom's because he had about 5,000 leather coats that he had to get shipped out. And I said, absolutely. I love making money. Let's go. And I found myself being invited back by my by by the owner at that time every single day. And I saw my friends dwindle away. And I'm like, wait, where did everybody go? So I've been I've been doing I've been making ship happen for over 23 years since I was 15 years old. And just watching the whole evolving world of e-commerce. It wasn't called e-commerce then. It was direct to retail. Um and sending it to the retailers and and getting the shipment sent out that way. But then watching it evolve after PayPal came on board and scraping all of that data. That yeah, fun. it's interesting. I mean, for those of that have been around e-commerce for its evolution, to realize like it was really hard to sell stuff online till PayPal made it a little bit easier. I mean, a lot of people got started on eBay and started just kind of introducing it that way. But you've been in the shipping side of it. So at, at a high level, what does ShipZoom do? How does it how does it add value in the marketplace? Our business model is considered to be what the the market calls a third-party logistics company or a 3PL. I hate that term. I don't call ourselves a 3PL because I don't want to be considered a third party who doesn't really care about somebody's product. Um, we try and call ourselves a partner shipper where we are your partner and we ship your products for you. And if we see something that you could be doing differently, we're going to let you know. And so that's, I don't know if that's a high enough level for you. Yeah, that's good. So when people buy stuff online, that stuff has to get shipped. Not everyone's shipping out of their garage and not everyone has their own fulfillment center to fulfill products. The people in between work with ShipZoom and you guys right. make all that happen. So um, exactly. when, yeah. So when people buy stuff online, if you bought a, a Christmas ornament last year, it probably came out of Matt's yeah. The center. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, all right. So now we're going to get into the, uh, the the nitty gritty of stuff. What was the the first big, like, life changing challenge that you faced as an entrepreneur, and how'd you overcome it? The very the biggest, like, sure. that's a, biggest or first, your your choice. Yeah. So the biggest, probably the biggest decision as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, that I had to make was trying to figure out how to construct a buyout of one of my partners who I did not really want to be in the business anymore. That was a full, that was a gut, gut wrenching full year of trying to figure out how do I do this? Because one of, one of the things with me and, and I, this is kind of a, a fault of my own sometimes is that uh, I, I'm big on relationships and they matter. And I don't like burning bridges, but at the same time, I know exactly what I want and I need to construct something so that there were no bridges burnt. And so that was probably one of the biggest struggles that, that I have seen as an entrepreneur of managing those partnerships and, and yeah, getting, getting and that skilled. And I'm, I'm like you, that relationships are, are really important to me. It is fascinating how hard it is when you need to break up with a customer, with a partner, with anything. Like it, it can be like going through a divorce, or it can be like it's a major thing, especially if you spent a good amount of time with that person. What advice do you have for people that might be in one of those hard situations of how to move forward? 
Yeah. The advice that I would give to anybody going through a negotiation with a partner is this. If you are on the offensive and wanting to do the buyout, be very cognizant and, and aware of what it is that you're really asking of this person. And don't ever offer something that you aren't willing to take yourself. And um, that, that was something that really helped me navigate through this partnership and this buyout with, with my partner is I was able to construct something that I would be willing to take myself. Why? Because when that negotiation happened, I was able to say at the end of the day, at the end of the conversation, hey, if you're not going to take this offer, I'm willing to take it. And that splits the partnership. And that creates that, that communication creates the fact that, hey, this guy's, he's really looked at what he's doing to me and um, we can work through this. I have been in a partner conversation, very similar, where they presented what they wanted for me. And I, and I was, we got down to like the end of it. And I said, okay, so you guys all think that this is fair. Like, yeah, this is fair. I was like, cool. Then I'm offering the same deal back to you. Yeah. And they're all of a sudden like, well, no, no, no. And I'm like, then it's not fair. (laughs) And then what you're doing is saying, this is a good deal for me, not a good deal for Tyler because you wouldn't take it. Right. Now there's obviously emotion involved and things like that. You were at a place you were willing to leave and that the emotion adds a lot into it. Um, But I think that's really good advice. If you approach it from, I sometimes don't like the word, the term win-win because that's not really possible. It just needs to be fair. Like yeah. if it's fair and balanced, then you're right. Either side of the agreement should be able to take it. So you went through that and you guys, I mean, you ship a lot. There has been a lot of changes in e-commerce and in shipping. What are some of the big changes in the industry and how have you guys approached those? Yeah. So one of the, probably the biggest change in the industry in the last, probably in the last five years, it, it's this. So 10 years ago or so, Amazon came out with, well, it's probably longer than that now. I can't even remember. But Amazon came out with the product called a Kindle, right? And what they did with that was they took physical books and they put it digitally. And so now you're reading off of a Kindle. In the last five years, the biggest flip that we've seen is that consumers love to see and touch books. There's, there's, there's something to a book where you can see it, you can touch it, you can smell it, you can like you can feel the wind of the pages, you know, go across your face. Like there all of the senses are are triggered in a physical product. And so the sales of books in the last five years has absolutely just gone through the roof. Um, and that's probably one of the biggest changes that I've seen with in regards to a product a physical product being shipped out. Now, in the last little bit, I remember the days where I was logging into people's PayPal accounts and, and scraping the data and then pulling a C, putting together a CSV file and then uploading it into UPS WorldShip and, and shipping products that way. We have the amazing tools these days of you have this e-commerce platform, a lot like Shopify or ClickFunnels or WooCommerce or whatever it is that can tie directly into another software like ShipStation. And we can easily take that data of the orders and ship it. Like that, that has been the biggest change in e-commerce, I feel, in yeah. the last 
in the last 10 years. I, I was talking with somebody today who has their, their e-commerce store built on WordPress. And it was very clear the person was a little bit old school. And I'm not anti having a store on WordPress, but like I build most of my sites on Shopify and I've done both. But his entire perception of the market was what I feel a little bit outdated. Well, it's nice because I don't have to keep paying for the app once I've paid for it. I'm like, well, you also realize that means they're not going to maintain or upgrade that app for you. And so right. the big change I've seen, even just in the last you know 12 years since I've been building e-commerce websites, is how much is like hard-coded, have to be figured out by the entrepreneur, and how much is just an integration you can plug and play, and it's going to work. And like, I mean, if I need to get have you know ship zoom shipping my product it's not super tricky there's yeah. software and there's technology and then there's repeatable processes so you can focus on the parts of the business of selling stuff instead of all the things behind the scenes and those automations i mean when i built my first e-commerce store it was paypal buttons on a wordpress site right like and then it was actually it was a front page site and then wordpress was next and then big commerce and now everything's on shopify but what what, what was your very first e-commerce product so I did an info product first uh, for real estate agents, and then I launched a diet product, and that product uh, took off. Was it what is it HCG? Can you even say that now? <laughs> is that legal to say? <laughs> it was. Uh, it was a. We had actual health health Canada approved licenses. Yeah. Um, so it was HC six, which if you okay. uh, if you look at a six, it, it, it looks sure like G. Looks a lot like something else. So yeah. Um, but we had natural product numbers and everything, and so. Um, but that was all stuff that I learned of going through that process was like how to stay legal when other people are willing to not because it wasn't a world I was willing to play in. Um, no, you, you don't want to go to jail. True. <laughs> how many team members do you guys have now? Uh, right now, we are right about 30 team members. We usually fluctuate during the holidays to around 55, 60. And what are some of the challenges of leading a team that size? Huh. Uh, the biggest challenge is this. When we see an influx of orders throughout a holiday season or a launch of some sort, the hardest challenge is getting the labor and the manpower to move that much product. We can do it. It's just a matter of, it's, it's the rubber band effect. It's yeah. pushing as hard as we can to get as many bodies in this physical location as possible and then retract them, right? Yeah. That's, so that's I know right. you've got you found a kind of a cool solution of that rubber band. How to? I think you even have a name for that team that you have come in, right? Yeah. So those are those are our those are our we call them our reserves. So the, it's our reserve crew, um, and and we kind of modeled it a lot. Like I mean, if you look at the U.S. Army, they have you know the reserves, and this reserve crew that we've put together is ninety nine percent stay at home moms who are looking for flexible hours and looking to just work when they, they can. And it's, it's usually at a time from 10 until two in the afternoon when their kids are at school. And so it, the, the stay at home mom workforce, if you have a business and you can tap into that, they're absolutely amazing. Yeah. There's a, there's a company that I, a lot of people I knew worked for that they were a, like a flashlight sales company and their entire team with stay-at-home moms that worked between 10 and 2. Yep. Uh, and that, that's the, everything they built. Now, then, as you, if, you, if you moved up, you ended up working more hours. But that was their model, and it was, it was pretty neat. I thought it was a cool way to do it. A lot of those people are massively overqualified, but looking for something that keeps them flexible. Yep. 
because ultimately what they want to do is they want to be home with their kids and still you know have the flexibility of having some extra money to spend absolutely matt let's uh let's pretend that you can see the future okay probably maybe you can i'm going to pretend you can you can just do it what is something that's coming uh for physical product e-commerce uh, entrepreneurs in the next couple of years that they need to be ready for? So that's a really hard question to answer just because we just went through this whole uh, COVID-19 thing where we saw basically the advancement of e-commerce in a short window of time. In about nine months, we, sh- we saw probably about five years worth of growth right now. And we were all, anybody in e-commerce was drinking from a fire hose and somehow we all survived. I, I truly think that um, we're going to just continue to go off of what we've learned through this last year. And we're going to see a lot more e-commerce. It's just going to keep growing. I think that there's going to be, um, there's going to be services a lot like Uber and Lyft that will be delivering the e-commerce products directly to our homes instead of the UPS, FedEx, and USPS, and Amazon. I think you're going to have a lot of growth within the private sector of being able to uh, warehouse products locally in their own neighborhoods and have have these people get paid for it and um, deliver these products. Yeah, there's almost it's interesting how we go and Amazon's such a great example of what has happened where we go from centralizing everything, right? Oh, let's get rid of all these bookstores. It's all going to come from us. And then all of a sudden going back into a decentralized manner, like we're, we're, yeah. we're, but it's adjusting. It's not an exact replication, but Amazon now has local small, almost like bodegas, like little small stores, yep. but the data that they're used to be able to make sure they have the products that that, that neighborhood wants and the things like that is remarkable. The amount of data that's out there. I think there's a big shift in even just in the info space where I, I'm a big believer of blending the digital with the physical. I think like you, like you, the way you describe books is really a big deal. Um, and I think it's, it's great if somebody is in the physical or the info space, how can you add physical products into it? You have a lot of customers that ship a lot of stuff. What are some of the commonalities of the people who are, that seem to be successful and keep shipping? Yeah. The, the number one commonality is this. If you want to have success in e-commerce, develop one product, focus on that one product until you make a million bucks, then, then you can focus on the next product. And until that first product hits a million dollars, do not try to expand your SKU count until that one product has hit the million dollar. It, it, it is amazing to me if you're familiar with with Organifi and Drew Canoli and what he's done with Organifi, it's, it was absolutely amazing to me to watch him prove this concept so many times. They didn't really change the concept when they'd come out with a new product. So their green juice just crushed it. They hit a million dollars and they created their, their next one, which was red juice, right? But they, they, they matched it. They said, okay, we're not going to grow. We're not going to have another product come on until this red juice now does a million dollars. And so they just did that over and over again. And they saw like, okay, if this product isn't going to hit a million dollars, let's scrap, scrap it, move on to the next one. That's 
I think I hope that people realize that are listening how powerful that advice is. So many times I have clients who are like, okay, we have this website and I want to get 5,000 SKUs on it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you don't know what people are coming to your website for at that point. Like you and, and you're manufacturing this product, let's sell that, right? Or you're importing this product, let's focus on that. And I, I heard once a saying that every SKU you add to your business, like adds an order of complexity by like, by seven or something like that. And so but basically, it's not just one plus one is now two products or two areas of breaking point. It, it's amplification. Um, there's that. It's significantly harder. And you and I have talked before about people who started and they, they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on inventory of all these SKUs. It's beautiful. They have it all figured out, but then they don't even know how to sell one of them. Right. Um, so it, it also is like a risk balance, right? Like where you're not going to get stuck with $10 million of inventory because you did 30 products or 100 products, you started with one, focused yeah, on making that work. And that's one of the saddest days for me and the hardest days for me is to see companies just spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a product or a on their company, on their business, on their e-commerce business. And I, I've, I've had to throw so many products away into the trash, into the dumpster, and just like, it rips me and tears me apart. Yeah, yeah, it it is. I'm all about failing forward, right? Like, okay, we made, you know, we tried something, it didn't work, we tested it, but it's really hard when you see that failing, like where the test wasn't done intelligently or cautiously, right? So then you're just seeing waste at that point, and that's super hard. What are some of the common now? Obviously, other than doing more than one product, what are some of the commonalities of the people who come in guns blazing with you and then just fizzle out? Yeah, that fizzle out, that don't yeah, just success. never take off either way. Yeah, um, not really truly understanding that if you are going to do an e-com or own your own business for that matter, that no, and I always tell people this, for the first three years, expect to work minimum 80 hours a week on your business for the first three years. And those those companies or those entrepreneurs who come to us with a product and don't realize this. And like, this is just a side hustle. I, I it's almost guaranteed 99% of those people will not succeed because it's, they're not, their heart isn't into it. Yeah. And, and you have to have, you have to have grit because you will face challenges as an entrepreneur. You will face challenges, especially in e-commerce. And if the first time that you, you get a new Google algorithm or the first time there's an iOS update, you're done. Well, like if you don't have if you don't have grit and perseverance, if you haven't really committed to it, you're not going to make it through. And and uh, I have I am a big believer of starting things as side hustles, but yeah. there is a point pretty quickly where you have to decide you're either going to try to make it work, or it's just going to sit there as an idea. Um, yep. It's very hard to scale something as a side hustle. Yep. You have this really cool lens, and it's similar to us with our agency, where we get to see what's working inside businesses, see commonalities of of what's working and also what's not. Um, and you get to see you get to see even more with really the trends of what's happening in like in shipping and in rates and like you guys get impacted by fuel embargoes. I don't know all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Right? It, all kinds of things impact you. Are there any success stories of clients that you just think this? I wish everyone knew this story. Who that put me on the spot a little bit. I know, and uh, <laughs> it's always hard when it's like a specific client. But I just yeah. think, I mean, you you get to see a lot of really cool things. And even if you don't want to talk about the client. Honestly, so one of the, and what comes to my mind right now 
this was an amazing story for me is that one of my clients and i'm not going to name names yeah it's good but but i i am going to give the concept is that she was an artist she came up with a very niched coloring book and she sold that coloring book like crazy and when the coloring book first hit our docks you know i i saw it and i'm like this i don't i don't see it i don't see it but it was it was so well put together specifically for that niche that she sold them like crazy and it just blew my mind how many coloring books were leaving the warehouse going to this specific niche that just she she crushed it and that that was that was probably one of the biggest in the last year one of the biggest products that was like holy cow i i didn't realize this demographic needed coloring books yeah and i think that continues to surprise me and i've seen those types of things almost every year where it's like ah there's no way that there's there's this many people interested in paying this much for this random thing and then there are and then there's other things that you think are going to take off and they don't the joys of testing but the old perfect formula right find an irrationally passionate market ask them what they want and then give it to them right and i and i think the lesson of finding that niche and then staying simple with the product is really really powerful i think it's hard to underestimate just how powerful or hard to overstate just how powerful that is to really stay focused on a narrow business yep. um you just the, the opportunity to win is so much higher um and i think a lot of people get addicted to the idea of coming up with a new idea well, i found a new product to sell it's like cool the last one didn't isn't still isn't <laughs> selling but now you have two things on your site that aren't selling what's what's next for shipstone what what big stuff is coming um big stuff that's coming down the pipe um, we just purchased two laser engravers. Um, the laser engraving of products, making them very specific to people and to your customers is, is big right now. If you can give them almost, that's, that's the irresistible offer, right? Is if you can customize that directly to them, we've, we've seen some success there. And then also tapping into a print-on-demand sublimation printer for, for T-shirts and mostly just to test a T-shirt or two to see what is going to sell and if it's going to take take um, flight there. So it, it's just, it's constantly, I, I, I kick myself all the time. I think about probably about 15 years ago. Well, yeah. So I've been shipping for, for Russell Brunson for, for quite some time. About 15 years ago, he, he called me and I don't remember, he called me from an airport. He said, Matt, you need to buy a DVD burner. I said a DVD burner. Why do I want those? He's like, no, no, no. Like a DVD burner that can burn like seventy, like seventy DVDs at a time. Right. If you can get that, like you're gonna be golden. And at the time, I'm like, this guy is crazy. Like, I'm not gonna do that. It's that's not my lane, right? And I realized I left so much on the table by not listening to that advice and taking action, because all of a sudden, what what blew up? Courses, you know, on DVD. So, but on the contrary of that, right? On the flip side is you staying focused in your core competency, yeah. right? Allowed you to stay more agile, like imagine you, you, you did a lot of things during that time that you may not have been able to done had you made the business more complex. And, and that's very true. And, and thank you for bringing that up because at that time- It was your own advice. I'm just flipping we, it back. Yeah, yeah we, weren't, we weren't doing a million dollars in, in revenue on, on our core offer, right? Which our core offer was shipping and fulfillment. And so 
now we're at a point where we have our core offer, we have our systems and processes in place, and we have a team in place that we can look at these other avenues to generate more profitability. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think a lot of really good lessons for anybody in anything e-commerce or, or business, really. But uh, so really even enjoyed that. To me, business isn't just about business. It, it is not only about relationships, but it's about creating the lifestyle that we want. What is one item on your personal bucket list you're going to accomplish in the next 12 months? Uh, in my next 12 months, uh, I personally, I want to help and guide my wife to hit her first million dollar year. Um, and that's probably my biggest goal for, for the next 12 months. That's, she's, that's cool. She's I thought fired you were say, like, going on a brocation with Tyler, but whatever. <laughs> um, that's good too, I guess. Well, we could do uh, that too. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And so why don't, as we wrap up, why don't you tell a little bit about what your wife's doing and about your guys' show? Yeah, so my wife, um, we've started a business together uh, called The Bold Logic which is a loving boldly company. We host a podcast called The Husband-in-Law, which is a podcast hosted by myself, my wife, and her ex-husband. And um, we just share our stories of, of love, marriage, divorce, ex-love, you know, and going through that, that life together. One of the things that my wife is, she's become a, a, an amazing inspiration to me of, being able to look at people in a lens of how can I love this person more instead of, hey, uh, uh, being judgmental towards, yeah. towards an individual. She's, you know, she's putting together a lot of, a lot of courses and materials of, of how you can take yourself out of the drama and accept the people for who they are and show them love. So Super awesome. So people can find Matt at shipzoom.com. They can find him on Instagram. They have ShipZoom. Also, you can find his personal one at Matt Frew. And where can they find more about The Bold Logic? What's the website for that? Uh, the website, well, you can find us on Instagram, The Husband-in-Law. There you go. Uh, on Instagram, that's probably the easiest way to find us. Beautiful. I love it. Now, to all my biz ninjas, wherever you are listening, watching, tuning in, streaming, whatever it is, it's your turn to go out and do something. Thank you for tuning in to Biz Ninja Entrepreneur Radio. What you didn't hear was one more very important question that Tyler asks each guest. If you want to be a fly on the wall when the real secrets are shared, go to bizninja.com slash VIP and get your access today. Remember to subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And our one last favor, if this episode was meaningful to you, please share this podcast with a fellow entrepreneur so they can grow along with us. Biz Ninjas, it's your turn to go out and do something.